Ray Renati is well worth speaking to. You can hear him talking to other people on a number of different places, like uh, he has a podcast of his own, he has, he's on Anchor, he's even over there on Lemur. You can hear Ray. He's not, um, he's not uh, hiding away in any way. So I think it's something good to be looking forward to. I, I don't know what I'm going to talk to Ray Renati about. And that's because there are so many possible things I could talk to Ray Renati about. It'd be different if I didn't have any... If I had only one thing I could talk to him about. But it's not like that. So I don't know what I'm going to talk to him about. I know that he's vexed angry by the massacre in Florida and that coming as part of a series of massacres that have happened. He's very, very critical of the United States and compare, compares it, has compared it very unfavorably with other countries, some other countries, European countries really, I think, if I remember rightly. But he's also... Um, you know, I have a big interest in Shakespeare. We've interested in theatre, art. So, and he's also interested in food. So, um, I'm not sure. What should we talk about? Maybe we should talk about something that neither of us are interested in. Interesting to have a conversation about something you weren't interested in with somebody who also wasn't interested in that in that topic and see what happened. And it wouldn't be necessarily have to be a about a topic that you didn't know anything about. Like there must be some things I know nothing about. No, there must be some things I know a lot about, but I'm not interested in. And Ray must have things that he's very interested in, but he knows nothing about. Well, that's the usual kind of situation where one person doesn't know enough, doesn't know a lot about something, and they speak to somebody who does. But what about a situation where, and when two people who know an awful lot about a topic talk, all sorts of things can happen, and most people would say, well, that's the most interesting one of all. Well, what about two people talking about something they're not interested in at all, but having committed themselves to hold, let's say, a five-minute conversation and have to make the effort to sustain the conversation despite their disinterest in the topic? Wouldn't that be interesting? I don't think I've ever done that, so that makes it even more interesting to do. That would be a sort of it's not really a thought experiment but it would be a communication experiment and it would be the kind of experiment where I suppose you'd have to decide in advance that even though neither of us is interested in this topic we both commit to sustaining the conversation on the topic and not changing the topic because it would be very easy to change the topic and uh, just say, well, we just morph it into something we are interested in. Two people talking about something that they're very interested in but don't know anything about. Now that's a very interesting thing, isn't it?
talking about something too, that's a bit like, you know, two amateurs who have absolutely no pretensions talking to each other about something. Maybe that's what I, Ray and I could do. There's actually so many topics I know nothing about, but I'm very interested in, that it wouldn't be very difficult for me to think of things I'm, I'd like to talk to Ray Renati about. I wonder, now what do I know, what am I very interested in, but know nothing about? Well, lots of things in science, like the debate about Pluto. How about that for just one little example? Is Pluto a planet or not? Good evening from a late kitchen in the south coast of the island of Ireland. Oh, an awful lot of things have been going on here. It feels as if there have been banshees and leprechauns in the kitchen. You see, I was talking with Ray Renati earlier today, and we had this conversation, which was awful. It was awful. We got to a terrible state in the in the conversation where we both almost gave up on the universe. Well, nearly gave up on the United States. But somehow or other, Ray pulled it back. So, here's the conversation. And I guess I should warn you that it isn't frivolous. It's quite serious stuff. I don't know what else to say. I've just spent a better time taking out all the ums and ahs that I used in the uh, in the in the conversation so as to shrink it down so that it wouldn't be as many as six episodes no not six episodes six segments so here but it's certainly in high point of today talking with Ray hello is that Ray Renati it is. Hi, Paul. Hey, hello. How is Palo Alto? Well, it's sunny, sunny, and it's about 46 degrees Fahrenheit, which is oh. cold for us. So 46 degrees. Oh, yeah, that's cold for you. Yeah. Oh, definitely cold, now that I think about it. Yeah, we're having a cold uh, a spell. I think it was supposed to freeze overnight in some places. Our weather is typical Irish fickle. Raining, sunny, raining, yeah. sunny, alternating. I've learned that from seeing your videos when you show them. Uh, all of a sudden, it uh, <laughs> looks like it looks like there's a big tempest coming in, and then uh, and then the weather's nice. Yeah, <laughs> it does that all the time. So, what's the news from California, Ray? Well, I saw a musical yesterday, Ragtime. I think you saw that on one of my anchor waves. I thought it was better than Hamilton. And that was a good question. When I heard you, when I heard you yeah. rave about it on Anchor or wherever, 
and I heard you say that Ragtime, you thought Ragtime was the best musical ever. I said to myself, well, that's, I've got to find out more about that because I've never seen it. And I think to myself, okay. Ragtime, what do I know about Ragtime? What's the basic story? It's based on a novel called Ragtime. The novel was written by, I forget, the person's, uh, oh, I'll think of it in a minute. The story is about, the basic story is about a man, Colhaus Walker Jr., who uh, leaves his um, fiance after she bears his child and comes back to, to find her, and it's being raised by a white family. Now, that's the basic story. Now, there are a whole bunch of other backstories and ancillary stories that go with it. It's a very, very much a comment on American life from in, at the turn of the 1900. The music is, is beautiful, and the, the book, the, the, the script is fantastic. Everything about it is just wonderful. You know, when it hit Broadway, it was a big, big deal. But that was over 20 years ago. Now, is this the, this is based on the 1975 novel? Yes. Somebody called E.L. Doctorow. Yes. And if you get a chance, you should read it. It's a great novel. If you get a chance, it's a great novel. And if you, one of the things about the play is when you read the novel, you realize that the, the people who wrote the musical actually stayed with the pace of the novel. It's, it's sort of like in a ragtime rhythm the novel it, it's fast and then it's slow it's fast and then it's slow and the and the, the musical itself does the exact same thing as the pace of the novel it's incredible it's just the most moving musical i've ever ever seen and, and i've been in it and i've seen it a couple of times if it's done well which is hard to do it's a masterpiece so i'm looking at some information about it here because you see i'd never heard of it before that's a bit that took me aback i said to myself who on earth composed the music for this if it's so good and everything like that? And I hadn't a clue about it, but it's about African-Americans. It's about white upper class people yep. in New York, Eastern European. There's a Jewish yes. immigrant from Latvia. I mean, it, tell me, is it in any way, is this in any way a continuation of the theme of uh, South Pacific? No, I would say no. It's it's not at all. I, I it doesn't even evoke any moments of South Pacific in it. Right. So it's got no theme yeah. in it about uh, a critique of racism. There's no uh, nothing like that in it, is there? Well, it's inherent in in the show, although it doesn't make any judgment, which is great. It it, it kind of just shows it for what it is. There are no judgments made, though. It ends on a really high note, too. I don't want to make any spoilers. I guess I can. Well, um, yeah, I mean, you can. I'm looking yeah. at Google here now. Before I go to any opera, I would be inclined to read the story. So I would know I would know what I'm going to be going to be seeing in opera about this, that and the other. I wouldn't be worried yeah. about there being a big surprise at the end, which could be spoiled. Could it be something that I'm would sorry. be spoiled? No, because I don't think a lot of people here are going to have, even have the chance, if anybody listens to this, to see it. It would have to be done locally. It's not going to be on Broadway again for a while, probably. 
So, so at the end, a new family is formed, composed of the young, the young African American boy who's grown up some. Uh, the character of mother, who was uh, the white upper class family who took the boy in. Her husband died, and she ends up marrying the Latvian immigrant who she thought was somebody else because he was posing as a great film producer. <laughs> it's hard to explain, but. Um, but at the end, they all come out and they're all together and they're all this one big mixed family. And it just it's so hopeful. And the music is soaring and it just makes you leave feeling like the world is a good place. Wow. Uh, wow. It was revived in London, by the way, in 2016. Oh, great. The last, yeah. the last Broadway performance was, I think, 2009. I, uh, mm. As I look at it here, but I mean, it's. It, tell me now, the lyrics. What are the lyrics like? Oh, they're all. They're all love. They have all different styles of music. There are ballads that just pull at your heart. There are two or three really, really funny songs. The harmonies are breathtaking in all of the songs. When I did the show, it was so much work to be in that show. Everyone has to sing all the time, even if, even if you're not on stage, because it needs a big sound. And the music was so difficult, but it's it's worth it. It's it's a great score. It just it's just a great score. I see the the lyrics were written by a woman called Lynn Aaron. Yeah, uh, right. She she um. What do I see about her here? Well, the main thing is uh, she wrote the teleplay for a musical adaptation of Christmas Carols, Christmas Carol, nineteen ninety four. Anyway, I'm just looking up her, her history. I was kind of wondering what else has she done. And the reason I was asking about the lyrics is, yeah, I, I, I love South Pacific. I love, mm-hmm. in particular, you, the, there's a piece in South Pacific, uh, which I'm sure you know backwards, which is you've got to be carefully taught. Carefully taught. And yeah. I, I think of that as the finest, uh, the, the, the piece of a lyric of a song that I most like of all. Mm-hmm. I just think short yeah. of, uh, of, of lyric, and to me it's uh, perfect. So that's why I said to myself, well, look, I'd love to know what the text is like for this to see if there are any gems like that included. Uh, well, there are a couple, but people haven't really picked up on them much. You know, those Oscar Ham- Hammerstein, Hammerstein musicals are works of genius and and they wrote so many songs that we all know now and that became popular music uh, you know and and west side story has been done over and over again as opera as uh, pe- people have uh, you know created their own versions of all of that music and it, it's 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 incredible i to say to say ragtime is up there with that in terms of something you'd want to listen to on a standalone basis without the, watching the show, I, I, I won't say that, definitely. Uh, it doesn't hold up to that standard. Tell me, how well known is it, Ray, in this States? Now, you know, I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm not very knowledgeable about musicals, really. I know the classic ones, the, the, the big and very successful ones. But it, it, was, this a, was this a huge piece of work when it came out? It was. People have forgotten about it, but it definitely was a big deal. But it's been a while. It hasn't. It hasn't been done a lot. So, well, it's been done, but it just doesn't. Let's see. Productions. The last one in Broadway, nineteen ninety-eight. Right? 
Yeah, on Broadway. So it's been quite a few years it's been done on Broadway. Well, they, but that was the original. Yeah. Who was the original uh, Cole House? Very famous, and I can't <laughs> – the name is slipping me. Well, uh, just one oh, well. It won Best Musical. It was nominated for Best Musical. Oh, yeah, Brian Stokes Mitchell played Cole House. Ray, I'm just looking at the, the guy who wrote the book. Go right back to yeah. the source. This uh, guy, Dr. O. In addition to writing this – he wrote Billy Bathgate. Yeah. Billy Bathgate, as I'm sure you know, big mm-hmm. film, Dustin Hoffman in it. Right. And Nicole Kidman. Now, yeah. I saw that a very long time ago. This guy is, you know, this um, uh, Dr. O is clearly mm-hmm. a significant person. I mean, it says here under his Wikipedia entry, it says he has been described as one of the most important American novelists of the 20th century. Yes. I mean, that's pretty high praise. But most people have never heard of him. <laughs> most Americans have never heard of him. I guarantee you that. Well, I've never. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. It's incredible. He's, 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 he's so unknown among the masses. He is so influential. And then the, the person who wrote the book for the, the play is Terrence McNally. And Terrence McNally was a hugely successful playwright in the United States. Oh, really? Yeah. So, I mean, we're we're saying that this uh, this ragtime came out of excellent. If we were talking about a dog or a horse, we'd say it was um, what was it? Excellent um, pedigree. Yeah. Pedigree. So this, pedigree. This yeah. This comes out of <laughs> superb pedigree. By the way, the it first does. time it appeared in London was in two thousand and three on the west in the West End in two thousand and three. Okay. But anyway, it's it's got a superb pedigree now. Look, I get the impression that, that the performances, that the actual spectacle was phenomenal. Is that right? Okay, so this was at a, a, a relatively small theater with a small budget. And this show is usually not done by many companies because it requires, most people believe it requires a large budget with amazing props and scenery and lighting and all that. And that certainly helps because there are there are so many scenes in this in this show, and it requires a car on stage, and wow. it's just complicated. But they were able to do it, and they did it in a, in a non traditional way. And what I mean by that is they didn't choreograph it in the way that most companies usually choreograph it. The scenery was not as complicated as I've usually seen it. The car was just made out of metal welded together and people sort uh, made up pieces of the car instead of it being an actual car. So they, 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 they worked it so that it, it, it all made sense and it, it created a unique production of this musical. And that the acting and the choreography was top-notch, just top-notch. The director, whoever directed that show, is, is a great director. If you're used to big New York musicals, a lot of people get disappointed when they come to musicals uh, at small theater companies if, they're, if all they've ever seen are Broadway musicals because they're expecting the super, the really expensive sets, designs, and to be wowed by the physical presence of things on stage. That doesn't happen. Well, you remind me, as you're talking about it, you remind me of a, a theater director who I knew once who put on one of the greatest plays that has ever been written in a, in a boxing ring. <laughs> the, you know, the audience had to 
operate on several different levels, but that was incredibly successful. And also, if we go into uh, Wieland Wagner's work in, in relation to, you know, the ring cycle at Bayreuth after the Second World War, that yeah. went into, you know, there being totally minimalist stage set and everything done with through lighting. And there was almost no objects yeah. on stage, very or perhaps one or two. And that kind of ability of a great director and a great team of people to give the audience a suggestion of something rather than bombard them with it right in the face. Because and to and to honor the reality that the audience is capable of imagination. I mean, that's that's I think that's very powerful. I prefer it myself if it's if it's done successfully. I, I it can be a transcendent experience uh, it, it, with your imagination just exploding with I, with <laughs> neurons. Yeah, you know. Oh, my uh, my view from the bridge was nominated for the best production in the Bay Area by the Theater Bay Area Critics Circle. So, tell me, is this um, is this the first I'll... time you have revealed that fact on Anchor? Yeah. Well, I feel honored. But yeah, our conversation has brought that has brought your modesty out of the closet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm really proud of the cast. Everybody in that show, they were so great, and they went they went with it. Well, I just yeah. want to be the first person to say publicly congratulations. And just in case somebody listens to this and hasn't a clue what we're talking about, when I was a couple of minutes ago referring to a theater director who put. Arthur Miller's play of you from the bridge um, on stage in a boxing ring. I was referring to Ray Renati, the, the theater director. Have you ever come across him, Ray? <laughs> Ray? No, yeah, I don't know him. I think he showed a lot of promise, you know. He's undoubtedly, a, I would yeah. say he's probably a young man, late 20s, early 30s. Probably company. Yeah, works yeah, at a company. Like hey, by yeah. the way, just going back. Just going back to this, to Terence McNally, who, who you spoke yeah. of highly a minute ago. The man born in 1938, so just before the uh, Second World War, an American, right? But he delivered an address to the League of yeah. American Theatres and Producers. And this is what he said, quote, I think theatre teaches us who we are, what our society is, where we are going. I don't think theatre can solve the problems of a society nor should it be expected to. Plays don't do that. People do. But plays can provide mm -hmm. a forum for the ideas and feelings that can lead a society to decide to heal and change itself. Wow. What a strong statement that I completely agree with. Well, that... I mean, I think if you if you look at Hamilton and, and what it's done, I, I think that's exactly what Hamilton has helped to do. I, I think that Hamilton, you, you haven't no, seen I, Hamilton, have you? It's, yeah. uh, it's a bit yeah. like in New York. I think if I tried to book for it, I'd have to book about three years ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's so hard to get tickets. It celebrates the history of our, our country. At the same time, it's celebrating hip hop culture. That is a big part of the African-American culture here in the United States. You know, it's a big leap. And, it, and it, I think it affects it, it affects everybody's uh, the, the, what do you call it? The collective sub subconscious or, that Carl Jung referred to. Um, absolutely. No doubt in my mind about that. But, you know, if we take yeah. I mean, you've seen Hamilton. You're, yes. you're also, I know, very much on your mind what's going on 
what the massacre that happened in Florida. Now, if, uh, if yeah. we take it that, if we take um, McNally's words here, at the particularly the end of it, let's say if Hamilton provides a forum for the ideas and feelings that can lead to the United States to decide to heal and change itself. I'm literally mm-hmm. putting one or two things into give it, bring it into Hamilton. I mean, yeah. I, I love the idea. I love the ambition. I mean, it would be fantastic if Hamilton can provide a forum for the for ideas and feelings that do lead to the United States to decide to heal and change itself. However, and here's the big however, I think. First of all, a tiny number of people will get to see Hamilton. And an even smaller right. number of people probably will read the text. But basically, the, the, the complication about that type of a sentence, I think, even though I'd love it to be, and, you know, it, it, it relates very much to a huge debate about whether theatre changes anything and what, you know, whether poetry changes anything, whether art changes anything, and if so, what and how. But the key thing is Hamilton is seen by a small number of people in a very big country, yeah. and it's impossible to get into. Now, if Hamilton could be put on television, uh, let's say Hamilton could be put on television and live-streamed into cinemas, in within yeah. the next, uh, let's even say before the two thousand, before the midterm elections in the United States, right? Suppose Hamilton could yeah. be put in there. Do you think there's there's much of a chance that it would influence the voting intentions? Actually, no, 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 before, no, no, no. no. I, I don't think so. Two thousand midterms, yeah. but the next presidential election, right? Let's suppose that yeah. eighteen months before the next presidential election happens, there has been a huge exposure and access to Hamilton. Will it change anything, Ray? Not directly. I, I still even I, I think that even if there was a, a huge exposure exposure, there would still be a huge portion of our society that would would not see the show. What, what I think happens is, is that it, it just it's sort of uh, it affects a number of people. And then those people affect other people based on some of the things that Hamilton may have done to their spirit. Um, I think it's just I think it's just one piece of the puzzle. In, uh, of changing things in this country. But I don't think it, it in itself could change anything. It's sort of a marker for where we are and, and perhaps a, a marker for where things can go and perhaps it influences it a little bit, you know, like the butterfly flapping its wings on the other side of the earth affects everything on the, uh, in Australia, you know. I, it's, um, I don't think it has that much of an effect. I don't know. Don't. I think it's all indirect. Well, in saying that, I think you're very much at one with Terence McNally because, you see, he says, I don't think theatre can solve the problems of a society, nor should it be expected to. Then I, I see that you two are saying the same thing there, really, in that respect. Yeah. yeah. If that sentence I, I kind of messed around with, where it said, you know, Hamilton can provide a forum... What he actually says is that Hamilton can provide a forum for the ideas and feelings that can lead a society to decide to change. But that uh-huh. mean, but the ideas and the feelings, I think what he's saying is the ideas and the feelings actually have to be out there, outside the theatre. 
Yeah. They're out there in society. But what yes. the theatre does, it provides a forum within which those ideas can be thought and felt in a perhaps in a heightened way. Yes, that's that's exactly what I'm trying to say. And you said it much better than me. Uh, that's what I believe can happen. So out there are young people who don't want to have this violence and this this prejudice and uh, the continued, uh, I guess, pseudo segregation of portions of our, of our society. They don't want it anymore. And, and Hamilton is a reflection of that. Also, the students at that high school who just are not shutting up now. And I think that is so wonderful. And they're, and they're getting on TV constantly and saying, this is enough. You know, we're, we are this. Our generation is not going to allow this anymore. And I think it's reflective of what's happening out in our world. And I think it's it's wonderful. And it gives it it provides a forum, a, a heightened two or three hour dramatic forum for, to give voice to those ideas and feelings that are just floating out there and it, it gives people a way through song and art and uh, self-expression to to hopefully make those things come to fruition i mean this is my hope yes yes <laughs> I, I believe it to be true i believe art has done that throughout history well of course if we were in let us say um uh, Italian city-state in medieval times, and we had a theatrical experience of equivalent to Hamilton. The whole of the city could be changed almost in a week because everything is so small. Yeah. Yeah. Look. Yeah. I mean, that used to happen with Shakespeare. He had he had, he had such an effect on, on on all of London quite a few times. Um, but we don't live in those times anymore. The other, the other two things that people use for entertainment, as far as I know, is like a bear baiting and children's choir. So those were your three choices, I believe. Did Shakespeare, did Shakespeare influence the popularity of bear baiting? Is that, is that what you're saying? <laughs> I read a book once where uh, that, that was one of the things we needed to compete against. And for audience, bear baiting. Yeah. Right, right. Well, well. <laughs> look, look. Um, one last question I want to ask you, really, and it's about it's about the students after the massacre in Florida. What I have heard over here on this side of the Atlantic is that there are going to be some marches, um, maybe more than one, on Washington. I'm not sure if I picked that up correctly, but also you've told me now other students are picking up on the call that they have made. Tell me, is, is there a message being spread around campuses in the States? Yeah, I was just talking to my son about that. Yeah, but see, it gets diffused because there are, are a small number of students at his school who are refusing to go to school in protest, and we're all the way out here in California. But uh, most of them won't do that because they're afraid it will affect their, their grades and they'll fall behind. And, and, you know, and I can understand that. So uh, my, my concern with this whole thing is that we'll, we'll have all this fervor and uh, good intention and then it'll just fizzle out like everything else always does after these things in this country. And we'll just go back to the status quo and then we'll have more shootings and I don't know how it'll ever end. The problem is, is there's so much money, so much money that influences our government leaders here. You end up feeling like you have no power. 
even though we're supposed to be this great democracy. You, you feel like you have no power and then people just give up. Um, well, I tell you what, with that, that wonderfully optimistic uh, sentence, that, <laughs> in, that, in that great spirit which is bound to oh. organize us all, to ride in. I don't want to... In- um, you know, we all go back to sleep. Is that, that, let's, um, so we're anticipating that. And you know what, Ray? Well, in, the, in a very cold mood, in a very cold, dispassionate mood, I, I've said already today on more than one occasion in different places that given all these things I've been told, the most dramatic one of all for me was the proportion of voters in the United States who own a gun. Now that I couldn't, that took me completely aback. And just that single fact alone, all I could think of was, okay, uh, my, I'm Joe, doesn't matter who, Joe Carmody somewhere. I have a gun. Now, I'm pretty sure that I don't want anyone to pass a law that says I have to go down to the police station and hand it in. So I'm going to defend my Second Amendment rights. And some people are going to say to the death, you know, (laughs) and and I think, well, goodness knows. But look, this Ray, we could drive each other into, you know, deflating the pleasure that you got from ragtime. So. Will you, will you talk us out with a little bit of the buzz from ragtime? Now, I, okay. all I want you to do is to sing the theme song of it okay. or pick up your guitar or even <laughs> make up the kind of words out of your head which you would have written for ragtime if you could have remembered any of the, uh, any of the music. Just give us a little tune. Oh, I, I know a little bit of it. I'll, I could just sing the uh, the chorus of the song Ragtime. Do please, do please. Uh, yes. Okay. All right. You ready? Yes. Definitely. It's morning. I don't know how my voice is. Okay. <clears throat> I might have to sing it uh, in the harmony that I learned, but we'll see what happens. Okay. Ragtime, 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 ragtime. There you go. Superb. Look, Ray Renati, I, I love chatting with you, but I have to go and eat food, and you have given me back my appetite. Not just, Good. Not just for food, but my appetite for life. Well, that's great to hear, Paul. Really, thank you. I, I, I'm honored. I look, that, that last bit, that, that ragtime finish, can you do it once more time? Just, just once again. And <laughs> I will say nothing, but I'll cut the call after you've sung ragtime once more. Okay. I have to move because my son is like making comments over there. Like I'm trying to play my game. Okay. Here we go. Ragtime. 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 Ragtime.